Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Welcome along to what is, I think, the third of these lockdown sessions. Ruthie. Dad. Welcome. Uh, It's good to get uh, confirmation of what we were saying on the podcast last week. It's not much of an intro. It's very quick. Let's get straight in. in, Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. We should make this as long as possible, you know. We've got plenty. All all, all, all the time in the world. We do have all the time in the world, as Louis Armstrong said all those years ago. Nothing but time. Nothing but time, you're right. Is that another song? (laughs) I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. However, it's nice to have confirmation of what we said last week in the podcast. Uh, In this morning's Times, Alice Thompson says... What did we say? What we were saying last week. What did we say? You should know you were there. I have absolutely zero recollection of what we said. I could not tell you one thing I said. I could do the exact same word for word podcast this week and I wouldn't have no idea. You wouldn't have no idea as what's happened to your English language. Last week, we said that there's been all sorts of talk about what's, about schools and schools going back and how yes, that's going to be managed, etc., etc. Et but there's been absolutely no talk whatsoever uh, about students. And uh, Boris Johnson has been laying out his roadmap. And I thought, is it just me that's noticing the absence of anything about students? And yeah, a lot of people have been saying that now, yeah. haven't they? Saying well, universities have just been left to absolutely... Oh. There's no information. Well, Alice Thompson says in her column in the Times... Not even a little mention in the... She says, um, uh, school children, workers, the elderly and the vulnerable have all been told what to expect in the coming months, however vague the timetable. Students, however, have been ignored. Uh, For the past six weeks, despite being among the least likely to show symptoms if they're infected by COVID-19, most undergraduates have dutifully returned to isolate... We're very dutiful, that's what we are. Have dutifully returned to isolate at their parents' homes, and we know what hell that is. Rather than. <laughs> ra- Does she actually say that? No, she doesn't. I said that. Rather than uh, parted with friends. Now they're in danger of being treated shoddily and kept grounded while many around them are set free. Yeah, I think that. Send us back. Why are you sending school kids back? The government's roadmap for relaxing lockdown, published on Monday this week, doesn't mention the fate of our 2.5 million students, so they're still in limbo. Not only are they unable to go backpacking abroad this summer, take up internships or go to festivals, they still have no idea when they can return to their lecture halls and labs. And that's quite apart from the fact that you've got to be charged full price for online courses, which I don't think they said, will don't be fully s- online. Though. No, well, whatever they Manchester. Um, I can't remember whether it's Man Met or Uni of because I can't remember where my friend goes. They're saying that it's online 
lectures but socially distanced seminars Mm. so seminars will be in person lectures will be online but I think it's also just doesn't that seem really early to be telling them what it'll be like for October well I think they've probably got to make plans quite well in advance Mm. I would have thought but I suppose like an online lecture is this like you don't have to plan anything more for an online lecture versus a normal one because all the lectures are online anyway all lectures are recorded anyway so the only difference is just the students won't be there. So I don't mm. see how it takes any more planning. Do you want more bad news? Uh, I don't think I can take it anymore. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what it is. It's from California, so it might not come here for a while. Uh, death bots. Do you want to hear about death bots? I mean, they don't sound brilliant. Well, I tell you what, some people think they are brilliant. But basically, uh, one company in California... Says it's close to. Why are you saying California like that? Why what? California. 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 I'm saying. No, no, no. Then you said it normally. I'm saying it normally. No, before you said California. California. Yeah, California in my life. Okay, well, listen back. I will listen back. I'm stressing that it is. I mean, maybe I'm stressing that it's California. That it's not in. You were saying like California. Yeah, precisely. California. <laughs> California. <laughs> when you listen back, you'll think this is really funny. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to a 10 minute uh, podcast <laughs> on the pronunciation of the word California. I know, I then, know, then you said it normal. Well, I do say it normally. <laughs> That's before nonsense. you did it, before it's... you did like every. Every letter, like the NIA, you said like every California letter. California IA, it's a song. <laughs> well, I don't see that, but anyway, I will listen back to it. But we, we now, we've now entered a sort of Kanye, Kanye situation. <laughs> Neither of those, right. Go on. Well, go what's on, how do we pronounce Kanye? Kanye. Kanye. Yeah, that was fine. Okay, come on, what's happening in California? I'll tell you what's happening in California IA. There's a company out there that's producing death bots. Now, these death bots are like Alexa, that's all those digital mm. assistant type things. It'll use voice recordings made before clients die in order to create bots, which will be accessed via phones or smart speakers. They can... Now, this is dead people, right? So, before I die, I would record a whole load of stuff, d- different words, different sentences and all that. And it means that after death, I'll still be able to talk and reminisce. And oh, it's terrifying! If you, there's an episode of Black Mirror that is literally that, and is it's it? terrifying. Yeah. yeah, the episode's off. Like it's awful. It's called "Wish You Were Here" or "While You Were Here" or something like that. Um, so give that a watch if you fancy it. Um, mm. Are they still there? Black, Black Mirror? Are they on? Uh, yeah, they're on Netflix. They're on Netflix. Um, right. The the last season of them wasn't very good. Um, and they've Charlie Brooker said we're not doing another one because the world's just too bleak. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a point. We're in Black yeah. Mirror territory. Anyway, we're, yeah, I, we're living it. Don't need to do TV shows. We do. It? We do indeed. So what I'm saying is, after I'm dead, yeah, there's it, already it, enough it, um, recordings of your voice to make it, something. Yes, they could. That's right. But um, I'll tell you what, I work. <laughs> be good riddance. <laughs> well, I was thinking that, you see. you uh, Because I'd also be able to apparently reminisce. So I could, you know, it's about the mm. early, early days of the Beatles and all those things I like to reminisce about. And uh, I'll be able to crack a favourite joke. So you won't be deprived. Oh my God, this sounds yeah. like a nightmare. But nightmare a, within a nightmare. Yes, but as a dead person, I would get. Because this is accessed on your iPhone. Mm. If you sort of. Uh, 
unfollow me at something after I'm dead, that would be the ultimate indignity, assuming there is an afterlife. But I think we've decided that probably... I ba- don't Balance think of probabilities, is. there probably is. Balance of probabilities. Yeah. I mean, no, some people just believe it, don't you? It's yeah. not about thinking what... You know, it's just about faith or blind ignorance. <laughs> as well as the fact that you're God, being... That is ter- death bots. Oh, I don't like the world we live in. I'm having a bad I'm having a bad day. Well, it's taken yeah. me about four and a half hours to persuade you <laughs> to come up here and do this recording. It's, yeah, it's, it's three o'clock. Mm. Um, it's three o'clock. We're going to start at about ten o'clock this morning. Yeah. It's going to be. Do you want more bad news? Oh, please. Yeah. Well, well I mean, this is what this is a third piece of bad news. There's a third, yeah. third piece. Okay. Of well, bad news. that's fine because. I always say good things come in threes and so do bad things and you get three if you get three bad things you'll get three good things so I'm not guaranteeing <laughs> uh, this is this is your bad thing though people like yourself aged between 18 and 29 are in the least physical danger from coronavirus so you don't need to worry about that <laughs> at all but your mental health and finances are suffering most, according to researchers at University College in London. They say that, to be honest, you're, you're in very little physical danger, you're in a lot of mental danger, therefore... About Why are we in more mental danger than, say, like the sort of 30 to 40 age bracket or the kind of 13 to 19? It's an interesting bracket. split. The 30 to 40, this is, the 30 to 40 age group, the millennials, in other words, mm. are the most compliant when it comes to what's recommended, you know, the social distancing, yeah. this thing, as we've seen by your brother and your elder sister. In fact, I'm no less compliant. Like, I think that university students have been overall quite... That yeah, I think university students, good. I think probably with universities, yeah. it's, it's a class thing, apparently. Oh, about, it's massive. I think that's more, the issue is less age split, it's completely class. Yeah. I think that, and like, I think um, Boris Johnson's speech on... Monday. Monday, God. Sunday night, Monday in Parliament, Sunday address to the nation. Yeah, in his address to the nation, the, the when he laid out the plans, I think more and more you realise that it is just class issues, like the just highlighting it so so clearly, and um, like basically he was saying working class people will need to go back to work, middle class white collar job people can go and work in their conservatories mm. quite happily, and. I do think, yeah, I think more than age, I think class is where you're going well, to see the real divide. In, f- in fairness to Boris Johnson, it is the case that if you work on construction sites or you're a bus driver or one of those jobs, mm. sort of traditional working class jobs, A, they're more necessary, but B, uh, they're harder to do from home. You can't be oh, a bus yeah, driver yeah. from home, no, I, I whereas think you can I, be an accountant from home. Yeah, no, I think that is absolutely true. But I think it has, it kind of has shown the divides in jobs and um, living conditions and stuff. Well, it has, but it's always going to. I don't think that... Uh, I, know, I, I don't, don't think it's exacerbated think it's... it in any way. I just think it's pointed it up that we, yeah, you know, we have not... a classes. We've, we've got a very a very definite, and always have had, between white-collar and blue-collar, mm. more or less the same as they have in, in, in America as well. You have this... This class, div- I think there has um, it's shown that there are class divides. That so, I, I've done a lot of reading about um, France and Spain because uh, I read a lot of articles in their newspapers, for, like, work. yeah, for yeah. if I'm doing it like bits of work and stuff. Read a lot about that, <laughs> like bits of work, yeah, you bits, <laughs> occasionally. No, but I have been, and um, one of the things there are 
nowhere near as big a class divides in those countries as we have here. Like, there's so many articles in our newspapers that are about sort of a class divide, like working class jobs versus middle class jobs, like what it will say for people who live here versus here and blah, blah, blah. Whereas in those newspapers, they're just there's nowhere near the obsession of class and I don't know whether that's just because it doesn't exist as badly there or I think or it what. exists I think it exists I, I do think I do think we more... must have oh, um, yeah. a bigger class divide or a bigger class problem in this country and I think hopefully one of the positives if you can even if there are going to be any I'm, I'm having a bad day so. I mean, you're a little <laughs> less negative aren't you <laughs> negative Nelly but if there are, hopefully there will be like positives at the other side of this, and one hopefully is that we're going to kind of value um, traditional working class jobs more. Yeah, although arguably, you see, you look at it in those very, very stark that, terms, yeah, and, you, and you're quite right. But well. say you're a bus driver and you're working for uh, London Transport, mm. and I, I feel particularly for people who work in, especially in London Transport, because I think we have agreed this is a London thing rather than a national thing. So if you work for London Transport, what is and London I, thing rather than national thing? Coronavirus. Uh, well, no, not that it's. A, I mean, it's still felt regionally, especially in the north. Yes, it's felt regionally because we have to follow the same rules. But what I'm saying is thirty. 30 London bus drivers, not in any particular uh, age group, not in any particular underlying health group, 30 London bus drivers have died. Really? 30 London bus drivers have died during this uh, coronavirus thing. But let's take the example of a London bus driver. If he would be working for London Transport for, say, 20 years, contributing into a pension, they would Mm. take it out of him. And at the end of the day, he uh, gets his pension when he's finished driving London buses at 60 or whatever it is. He gets his pension. He's had to go to work. The financial advisor who will be looking at the pension funds, who's able to work from home, and he's trying to invest in various, trying to look around the world, the whole world, and and deal with the oil price crash and all that sort of stuff, and trying to decide where best to move all these funds that all the London bus drivers and the tube drivers and everybody who works on London Transport have been contributing from the wages every week. His job, in a way... Is just, I know you can make a class point about it, but it's just as important, more important, really, than, than I a bus driver. I don't think you can say more important. I think no, it's just as, as important yeah, as, as a important. bus driver. Because otherwise the, the bus yeah, driver the, will retire think, and have no money. Yeah, but I, and I agree. But I think there are also a, a hell of a lot of jobs which are overpaid and not as important as or like or the the these these um we like essential jobs so these cleaning porters in in hospitals like not even through speaking about nurses because they're definitely underpaid there are uh, they are just i'm not saying that this financial advisor job that you've that you've highlighted is not important it is and we live in a capitalist system. That's and the that's, problem. That's that the, is problem. the problem. And like, uh, and I'm I'm not at all an advocate for communism. Like, it, it's been proven time and time again that it doesn't work. But um, I think we can all agree, and I think that this crisis has highlighted that um, people are underpaid. People are underpaid. Yeah, the, the, uh, the essential these we're... essential workers, mm. these traditional blue collar oh, yeah. working class jobs, are underpaid. Yeah. Whether I'm saying I'm not saying that everyone's ever going to make the exact same amount of money. I don't think. Well, that, that is the problem, isn't but, it? Because... But they are underpaid. They can. I think there's definitely something we can do, especially in London as well. 
I just think, surely, you can pay people a bit more without saying goodbye to a capitalist system. You can make things a little bit more equal mm. and improve living conditions in well, London, at that, least. I think that's, you know, all the parties on the left, that's what they sort of aim, you know, the sort of moderate parties on the left, yeah. that's what they aim for. And I'm sure Keir Starmer will try, as uh, Tony Blair did, to, to make society a little more fair. But I think that. that's turned into, like, recently. I mean, I know... Like Jeremy Corbyn is not you didn't like him, and he wasn't. I wasn't particularly like a Corbyn Carbonite, but it seemed like he was kind of saying stuff like that. But it, it's not. That's not particularly radical to say. But I do think that's become quite a like a radical standpoint of like evening people up. Whereas that's always kind of just been a Labour. Yes, I think Corbyn, uh, I think your problem there is your Corbyn problem. I don't think Keir Starmer differs that much politically from Corbyn. Um, I suspect Tony Blair didn't differ that much. It's just that Corbyn was just such a snake in the grass in terms of his history in the Labour Party, Mm. you know, backstabbing other people. I do think Labour does need to be more left. Like, I think that is true of Jeremy Corbyn, is that at least he pushed Labour a bit more left. Let's give you some good news now, Ruth. Oh, Would you like some good news? Love some good news. Well, there's a headline in the papers. Employers prefer arts graduates to scientists. I've just, yeah, I, I'd seen this headline. I've not mm. read the article there. Well, the article basically says just that, that employers prefer arts graduates to scientists, which was interesting coming on top of the fact that the government had said that these STEM people, which you've mm. told me about in the past, science, technology, engineering, maths, these STEM people were going to be allowed to go back uh, yeah. Whereas art students were going to be able to were were have to live through the living hell that was being uh, <laughs> was being with their parents all the time. I mean, it's not, but like there have been a f- quite a few university students on the York Forum things and stuff like that who have said it's annoying to see students just complaining a lot um, or like complaint articles kind of covered in the newspapers that are kind of just like oh, what a shame, they're not being able to party anymore and they're having to go home to mum and dad Mm. and whatever. But a lot of students have come out and said, like, actually, my living environment is awful and Mm. it's, like, it's a really damaging place to be and I've gone home because that's the safe thing to do, but please, can we work towards getting me back to somewhere? Like, not everyone's... I'm still finding it, like, a little bit hard moving home and I have all the privileges in the world. Like, there are... I think it's important to remember there are university students who have moved home and will be yeah. in oh, the, the, horrible environments. Yeah. Well, we know that. And unsafe as well. Yeah, absolutely. Although Giles Corrin, who was an arts graduate, mm. did write something at the Times that was very amusing, which you might um, enjoy. He said they're probably only letting the scientists back in first because they have to use laboratories, whereas arts students can do their quotes, work, (laughs) art students can do their work lying in the park smoking a spliff (laughs) until a copper comes along and tells them to smoke that spliff while they're walking about. But employers prefer arts graduates, so there Mm. you are. I can't remember, I might have actually mentioned this. I had a meeting thing for a playwriting thing I was doing in, God, it feels like years and years ago, but it was this year, and we were talking about sort of what are the big problems and stuff that are facing us and I was talking about like the world I graduate into like what will that look like in terms of jobs and what will be necessary what will have they will have found computers to do and stuff and she was telling me about how um she was uh, talking to her friend who was an accountant and he was saying like 
my job is still really necessary now you know that that's accountancy has been one of those jobs where it's like we'll always need accountants you know people always have money and he was saying oh hopefully they'll always have money but <laughs> <laughs> he was saying at the moment the computers can't do my job but one day they will be able to like they're getting there but she's a literary associate so reads plays and picks them and also writes and stuff and he's saying there is never going to be a computer that will be able to do your job and do you think that's like less than me because I'm not so much arts but for people who are graduating with English Lit or like theatre degrees and stuff there there will never be a computer that can do that whereas for like accountancy there will be a day Mm. I think where that becomes what's the word possible Plausible? No, because where those jobs become... Un- moribund. Moribund? I've never heard that before, but let's go with that. <laughs> yes, moribund. Loads of uh, emails this week. Uh, really? With, yeah, actually mostly uh, welcoming you back to the world of podcasting. It was only been like um, one week. Well, I know, but it's a long time in podcasting. <laughs> world. Uh, Dave Thomas wrote, he says, I've been listening to your podcast for about 18 months now. The content is tremendous. The contrasting opinions between the generation gap, uh, he said, uh, is a fairly common concept. uh, But your personal take on things, I believe, is easily the best out there. So once more, we're the best generation gap podcast. I don't think there's that many to choose from. Well, you know, we want to be at the top. And of course, obviously, we missed out on the award we were going to get this year. Oh, yeah. Um, He's also suggested a couple of songs for us. Take Me by Phil Fuldner. Do you know that? No, there are many things we And The no, Crunch sorry. by the Ra Band, which is from my era, which I do remember, it was on uh, Top of the Pops an awful lot. David Ailes says, uh, Ruth, 19, wild and reckless jigsaw puzzler. He <laughs> says, what has the youth of today turned into? Hey, it's not my fault. <laughs> he says, my son Stephen is working through this at two hospitals in Oxford. Uh, he's got another son, Richard, who's working at a food supplier in London, so they're both still working through mm-hmm. it all. Uh, Gail, my wife, is locked down in Spain, and me stuck in sunny Basra, so he's obviously in the services in uh, Iraq. Uh, all the airports and borders closed there in Iraq, and mm-hmm. an expired visa, he says, such fun. I suspect he's being sarcastic. That sounds um, stressful. But he says, it's Friday, our day off here, off on a mission to secure essential supplies of beer and scotch. Uh, Andy May says, glad you decided to carry on. Loved the podcast this week. Stay well. Uh, Grace Strait gives you lots of support. She says, I love the podcast. But I had to email in about the recent discussion on, quotes, English Enlightenment. I'm totally with Ruthie on this one. We should be ashamed of a lot of our history and owe apologies to many Indigenous people whose culture and heritage we robbed. Well said, Ruthie. She says, I love hearing a debate, though. It's healthy. Hugh Besant, who's one of our regular emailers, said, belated welcome back. I don't think it actually matters whether you're at uni or not, Ruth. As a listener from almost the start, I think I started on episode five, season one. You know, our spurious seasons that we've had (laughs) for this. Uh, And caught up with the first four. He says, the enjoyment is in the relationships. So there you go. It's all for the all for the podcast. Yeah, we don't uh, speak outside no. of the David Tucker. Makes dinner time awkward. Mm. David Tucker says, Hi Martin and Ruth. Great to see you back. And um, dinner time is awkward, except we can always put on House of Games. Oh, love House of Games. House of Games is it's such a good um quiz show. It is, it is. It really is. Weirdly time... I had a conversation about House of Games today. Oh did you? Yeah, so one of my friends that, uh, sent me a message saying 
we're doing a Zoom call tonight and she sent me a message saying, did we speak about House of Games? Because my mum's got the House of Games book and I thought we'd do some House of Games quizzes yeah. uh, tonight. And so I was talking about that. Answer Smash, we like it. Answer Smash, yeah. It. So good. Mm. It's... <laughs> I do sometimes sit and I think, oh my God, what's my life come to? Then? Yeah. And yes, let's watch House of Games, how excited. And what a genius uh, Richard Osman is. Do you know how he's got into this? Because you now know Richard through uh, Fighting Talk. In fact, I got him on Fighting Talk originally because uh, he, he sent me a tweet saying, um, or a text or something, saying how much uh, he loves the Premier Fighting Talk and could he get on it? And I thought, oh yeah, this was... He just started doing Pointless on BBC yeah. Two. But he was a producer at uh, Endemol, the production mm. company, and uh, when they were pilots and pointless, they didn't have anyone to sit in the other chair and come up with the answers. So yeah, they said, yeah. Richard, just sit in the chair and see it. And from that, of course, he got pointless. And now he's the king of everything in the world. And, <laughs> the king uh, of everything in the world. He's got the house games, He's really is, good. He's, he's really talented. Very, very yeah. I really like I really like him and Alexander Armstrong on Pointless. Yeah. No, that's that's, that's the... Um, the youth of today, hot tech. Yeah, that's this for old people. Isn't yeah, it? You know, all those quiz shows during the day, countdown and uh, the, the thing. No, with I don't the, watch it. It's the just pl- What's the thing, Ben Shepherd? Uh, oh, tipping point. Tipping point. Yeah. I don't like tipping point as no. much. Though. Anyway, David Tucker. It's a bit too the chairs. I don't mind the chairs. Mm-hmm. Tipping point's a bit. <laughs> Actually, funny story about the chairs. I got a message um, from a mate the other day, and she just said. She just sent it into our um, group chat and she was like, right, have any of you watched the new series of The Chairs? <laughs> and I was like, actually, you know what, I, I haven't watched. And she's like, it's brilliant. They've got new chasers and, the ch- and something about the chasers going up against each other or something like that. She was like, it's so good. You need to watch these new the new series of The Chairs. Get up to date. She was like, yeah, yeah, I'm watching it on like, she wasn't just watching it as it came on and stuff. She was like purposefully going on her laptop to like have you know, to catch up on the chairs, you know? So it is you sad. Uh, <laughs> David Tucker sent us an email. Hi, Martin and Ruth. Great to see you back. Would be good to hear a discussion on the contrast between the young and the more senior opinions on how this will change our lives and be remembered in the future. I think we have talked you about said, that. You said a weird thing, because I, I was saying that, like, I don't think the world will ever look the same as it did before. Um, for better or worse, I think in both ways. And you were saying, oh, it'll just be a a quarter of a page in a history book. Like you don't think it is this major historical? No, because I think there will be probably more pandemics of some description, not maybe like this one. I think, I think this we'll, is. I, I think, think this we'll is a, live with. a massive, like a massive historical event, not a half a page of a history book. No. At all. Well, we have to disagree on that. I, I think it's a thing that in. You know, history is a huge thing, you know. The yeah, yeah, nobody, no, I know. In, I mean, like, the... In the 1950s, nobody ever referred back to the 1918 Spanish no, flu know, epidemic. Nobody I, ever talked about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I th- but I think that's because it happened just after the First World War and in between the two wars and before the Great Depression. Mm. Like, I think that's just how it landed Well, there you go, people talked about the, the Great think, Depression. Was I'm just thinking, growing I up, what I learned about be... was the wars and the Great Depression. I never... Ever pandemics were right at the back of yeah no I know but I I mean I think that there was I don't think it will I think that they have been at the back and then I think that there was um like Bill Gates's TED talk which had been watched tons and tons which was um we're not ready for the next pandemic Mm. and stuff and there were like a few other little programs here and there that were about pandemics I think that this will affect history Mm. so much and I think that people will refer back to it I think we'll Mm. I think I'll tell my 
future children if I have them about this. If you ever get out of the house. If I, if I ever get out of the house, if anyone ever <laughs> so talks we, to we, me again. More or less agreed, though, that Bill Gates and Richard Osman are the two greatest people <laughs> in, the, in the world right now. They're, um, if, if all men are wiped out and I get to choose who we serve, ideally, in the post-apocalyptic world when all men cease to exist and we form a matriarch, ah. uh, which men would you serve? So Richard Od- Osmond, oh, Bill okay, Gates, probably like Leonardo DiCaprio, Timothy no, Chalamet. He's a, he's a strange thing. choice. What? Uh, he's not a strange choice at all. Uh, Harry Styles, I'd serve him. Jennifer Parkinson writes in. She says, I think of you as friends in a way. And now we can't leave the house to see friends. We like listening to you at least. Uh, good luck with the jigsaws, Ruthie. <laughs> I heard on another podcast. This is another podcast? Uh, the coronavirus cast that there is a Darth Vader jigsaw that doesn't have straight edges. I did one without straight edges. Yeah, that, she, yeah, yeah, that yeah. grandma gave us. Yeah. Uh, so, straight edges around the sides, but then yeah. in the middle, no straight edges. Hmm. Oh, well, this probably has no straight edges around the side at all. It's probably just Darth Vader. It's all black as well, Darth Vader, so uh, that'd be difficult. But I think it's more for Star Wars geeks, really. <laughs> That's for boys, Jennifer, not for girls. No, Dad. Terry, do you know any girls who are into Star Wars? Maddie, um, who lives just at the end of our street, is like Star Wars a lot. Oh, right. Oh, there you go. Uh, Terry Hall has written In fact, I've just never seen Star Wars. I'm sure I might like them. Mm, just, it's hard to get into, isn't it? No, I didn't get into it. I saw The Empire Strikes Back. That's meant back to be the best in the 70s, yeah. Um, I wasn't that excited. Mm. Uh, Terry Hall has written to us, and that's not Terry Hall of the specials and later the Fumboy 3, and it's not Terry Hall who was on children's television in the 50s with Lenny the Lion. This is a different... I don't know si- any of the no, words of course you don't. I know, but I'm trying to yeah. help you along with these things. Terry Hall says, I have a grandson at Cambridge who I can imagine having the same trials and tribulations as Ruthie. They have it tough, and they do. However, he's put on the bottom of his um, email, it says, sent from my Huawei mobile. <laughs> How do, you, do I pronounce that right or wrong? Huawei. You put- Huawei. No, Huawei. 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 Uh, anyway, it's sent it from his Huawei mobile. Should we be we all right with Huawei? I didn't even really pay any attention to the whole bug tapping stuff, but you know, we're not not massive fans of China at the moment. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you 
everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Time for a music special, Ruth, because one thing we're missing out on this weekend is Eurovision, or the Mm. proper Eurovision contest. However, all the Eurovision songs are going to be played on the BBC through the night. Graham Norton's going to be commentating on it all. He always does such a good job on Eurovision. Yes, he does. That's not as good as Terry Wogan, but... uh, I don't don't remember Terry Wogan, to be honest. I think actually he's as good as Terry Wogan. (laughs) I think Graham Norton, the Graham Norton show, is excellent. I think Mm. it's so good. Graham Norton is a a huge talent. Not as talented as Richard Osman, but he is a huge (laughs) talent. He's getting on the list. He's a huge talent. When you hear him on Just a Minute, which is an old person's radio show, really, but you hear him on that... Which I've also listened to. Which you listen to, obviously. You enjoy it, don't you? Yeah, I really like Especially when he's on. He is sharper and wittier than virtually any of the other contestants. Mm. Ever He's really good. He's really he is brilliant on that. Yeah. However, uh, it's the Eurovision song because the BBC are looking back at the great Eurovision years, so there'll be a mm. bit of uh, Bucks Fears. Bit of reminiscing. A bit, of, bit of reminiscing. I love all that, Bucks Fears and everything. Um, what was the Bucks Fears song? That making Your Mind Up. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Performed in a slightly <laughs> uh, sexist way, and the, the boys ripped off the girls' skirts. Mm, did they? I've never, yeah. seen, I've never seen the video. Oh, you, you must go and see it. Yeah, You'll be horrified, <laughs> but, go, but go and see it. But Cheryl Baker appears on my show quite a lot. She was one of Buck's fears. Oh. Uh, whenever, we, whenever we want to talk about Eurovision, we, we like to get Cheryl Baker on. So what we'll do this week is have our Eurovision specials, and I have to agree with you, the song that you've chosen... Yeah, so my, my pick from this week, obviously, as the youth, um, I picked one of the this year's entries. This year's it's called Think About Things by Di, Di Fryer or something. I have literally no idea how to say it, but it's D-A-O-I... Yes, the it's, eye has got like an umlaut on it. It's not even an umlaut. God knows what it is. Well, it's got it? it's got something on the top of it. Yeah, which, it's, I don't even know what it is. No. And then Friar. Uh, that's his name. The, but give me the name of the group that they're called. That's what they're, the name they're performing under. Oh, because I'm oh, sorry. On, on Spotify, it comes up as just. Yeah, that, that's his name. The, yeah, the I've got no scene. idea. But oh. it's the Icelandic offering, and um, it's called Think About Things, and it is. Well, listen to this. Like, I genuinely... There's not many Eurovision songs. Actually, I can not really think of any. Maybe Euphoria, they kind of played that in clubs a bit. Um, I cannot think of a single song from the the last well, year have you ever, have I've you listened ever, to just... Have you ever heard of a little uh, song called Waterloo? No, no, no. Not of, of the last ten years, uh, any of the Eurovision songs that I've listened to just 
for pleasure as much as that think about things. I think it is so that was so excellent. going to win it. There was yeah. absolutely no it doubt. Feels really sad but you look at the, the performance and they're dressed as these oh, futuristic. It's brilliant. The performance the is fantastic. Is the way yeah. they turn around, it's all. Are they still going to have a winner? Are we still voting? Uh, I'm not sure about the voting. It'd be difficult to do. Well, it wouldn't be that difficult to no, do. It's no. always a phone vote, isn't it? There may yeah. be a phone vote, but it's. Let's be honest. It's won it oh, uh, because yeah. it's choreographed and everything. And it reminds me of and the, the songs. Great, like they didn't even need to do mm. any. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of of Motown in the 60s and 70s a bit in that they always choreograph their routine mm. to the temptations of the four tops and that is brilliant I mean I have to agree with you it's absolutely brilliant the group is called Dio Og Gagna Magnio mm. that's what I think it's called but I might be wrong well now interestingly you say that there's not in the last 10 years there's not been a really a great Eurovision song apart from Euphoria and um, what was the one oh, I'm trying to this think might be the one I'm going to play Teardrops only Teardrops correct yeah. I'm about to yeah, play that one was good, uh, Emily de Forest which is the Danish entry that won it in 2013 yeah so, I remember that that was back when I kind of still watched it yeah, a bit more you were in on a like, night and you yeah, watched it with us the really last couple it. of years I've not really watched yeah. it but interesting, I just wondered, I looked at the internet to see if she had uh, much of a career after the uh, winner. Mm. Not really. Her second shoot, so, so. That, not many of them really do, to be honest. Even the girl who did Euphoria didn't mm. really have much of a. No, Abba did okay afterwards. Yeah, Abba did okay. But in only Abba, I can only really think of Abba who yeah. have had massive careers. Well, Engelbert. The- Humperdinck. Well, he was. He already had his career. He already had his career. Uh, Cliff Richard, when he went into it, was already Mm. famous. Uh, Sandy Shaw. I didn't know Cliff Richard did it. Mm. Congratulations. Ah, that song, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And Sandy Shaw had a bit of a career in the sixties, and Mm. she had a a winner as well. So some of them did, but I agree, it's very rare that Eurovision and Emily DeForest, I'm afraid, sort of. I mean, her first album was called Only Teardrops, obviously, which is the mm. song. Uh, and then her second studio album, uh, History, was only released in 2018. So it was five years before she came up with the second album and nothing since then. Mm. So uh, Emily Charlotte Victoria de Forest. This but is Only got- Teardrops. We only got ourselves to blame. It's such a shame. So there she is, uh, Emily Charlotte Victoria de Forest. Yeah, it's uh, a good Danish, song. Born... I don't think it's got any a patch on. No, it's this. not as good as the Icelandic entry, but it's good. Born 28th of February 1993. Mm. Do you want an interesting fact about Emily de Forest? I probably won't remember it anywhere, but yeah, I guess so. Uh, she claimed she was a great granddaughter of British King Edward the Seventh. Oh, yeah, we know Edward the Seventh sort of put it about a bit. Uh, He's he the was, one who abdicated. No, Edward VIII abdicated. Oh, okay. He had a relationship so, with the, Edward the Seventh was uh, immediately after Queen Victoria. I believe, right, okay. But he's known for being... Uh, oh, he was a bit of a playboy. He was very much a playboy, mm. which is what they used to say in those days. And she claimed that she was his great-granddaughter. Uh, However, uh, Denmark's radio, which is a, a Danish station, obviously, mm. used the story of her claim to royal ancestry in its promotion of the uh, Dansk Melody Grand Prix, which is a, uh, a competition there to yeah. find the Eurovision contestant. Uh, the claim, though, has been discredited <gasps> by researchers. They're so always discredited. A bit of publicity. Things, yeah. 
there's always someone claiming to be um, Princess Anastasia, the the loch. The, the, mm. Obviously, they're all killed, the Romanovskis, but claiming to be the child. It's mm. always quite fun when that happens. More backing up of your uh, thing about colonialism. Now, oh, amazing! When, <laughs> it is amazing. Well, it's just amazing how much stuff we did in last week's lockdown sessions podcast that's uh, come up in the interim in other podcasts and uh, in the newspapers we're, we're leading here. But what year would you say you would, if you thought when the United States was born, the creation of the United States, what year would you give? Oh, now you're really, now you're making me feel well, it's really 70, 1776. 1776. Yeah, that's Dec- the that was the Declaration, Declaration of Independence. Yeah. Yeah. And I always remember the 200th anniversary. But obviously, like Native American populations were there. Well, now, the correct date, according to people on your side of the colonialism argument, mm. is 1619. And there's a thing going in America called the 1619 Project. Mm. And the whole point of the project is to reorder the world's understanding of American history among, on sort of woke lines, if you like. 1619 defines America as a nation not built on the lofty ideals of freedom and self-government, but it redefines America as one built on the degradation, dehumanisation and persecution of black people, one whose economy owes its rise to global primacy, not to entrepreneurial endeavour, but to the efficiencies afforded by slavery. So it was 1619 the first slaves arrived in the uh, United States. Somebody argued in the Times, a guy called Gerald Baker, that uh, he doesn't agree with the 1619 project. Uh, He says, you can't deny the indubitably dark role race has played uh, throughout American history. Um, But he says, you know, you have to uh, look at it in the whole and the uh, achievements of America generally. But it's interesting, even though he's very much on the right and, you know, he sees America as a great nation and all that, uh, does at least give, you know, because I'd never heard about the 1619 Project, but it's Mm. one that you you might want to look up, which uh, says, so it's not talking about the Native Americans so much, but talking about slavery uh, slavery being such a key economic driver, which obviously it's got to be if you've got a a free Mm. labour, even if you've got a cheap labour force, if you've got a free labour force, it is going to help your uh, rise to economic power. Something you'll look up in between looking at nice, funny videos of Cats. Oh yeah, I'm always looking at videos of cats. You've never known me watching videos. I'm not an animal lover, but some of those things that people do post. There are, uh, yeah, there are cute. Yeah, there's some. I think not a massive. I think dog videos are slightly funny. I prefer a dog video. Yeah, so do I. Those dogs do. Dogs have got more personality, you know. Just finally on this week's lockdown sessions because we want to leave ourselves uh, something to do next week and Oxford University they see we talk about 1619 project and how sometimes being woke can get you a balanced view of uh, society as opposed to a one-sided view I think one of the problems is some people will look at the 1619 project and that will then be you know ignore every other aspect of uh, American society. It's like you talk about slavery over here. You also have to look at uh, William Wilberforce and various other sort of liberal voices uh, and British democracy, the way that worked. Oxford University has dismissed a call from students to drop ableist 
transphobic, classist and misogynistic content from its reading list. It said it accepted that some students would find certain views unsettling, extreme or offensive. This is the Oxford University Authority said that. But insisted that free speech within the bounds of the law was the lifeblood of the university. It was the mm. university... I, I think taking stuff on a reading list really sits badly with I me, to be does. honest. It... I always think of... Um, of like Lolita in these sort of mm. things. So like Lolita is obviously like you read it and it's borderline paedophilic and misogynistic mm. and sexist and stuff. Um but it's also an excellent book. Yeah. Um and I always think of it, I think it should be on like people should read it, do you know what I mean? Did you read it in translation or did you read the Oh yeah <laughs> I read the original, yeah cost of writing translation. Um I always think it's it's not only of its time, but it's also like it's a book that doesn't, you know, it's flawed massively. Mm. But that's like part of it. And I always think you should never take stuff off reading lists. No, because then you're left with an Orwellian world, aren't you? If you want to hear our two uh, Eurovision entries, if you don't have enough Eurovision on Saturday on the BBC when there's absolute the whole whole night's Eurovision themed and you want to hear our two um, entries, the, the wonderful Icelandic one and the uh, equally good one I think from uh, Denmark. Not you know? equally good but still good. good one, from 2013 Then you can find them on our Spotify playlist um, you can find that by typing in Martin and Ruth or Ruthie Unidad and me or Ruthie Martin podcast, I don't know something like that on Spotify and you'll find um, our playlist with the songs from this week and all the other songs from all the other weeks in full. Including um, last week's? Did you put last week's? Last week's aren't there yet, but they will be. They will be by the, ti- by the <laughs> time. By the time this goes out, they will be. They were? Mine was "Come Through" by Jeremy Zucker. And mine was the song from Tootsie by Stephen yes. Bishop. So uh, those I think those it might be you, I think the song's called. Will yeah. also be on that. After we finish this, you'll probably put those. Yes, yeah, straight on, away. Yeah. Cause it's just kind of Galileo. And then, because um, <laughs> we only had a week, so <laughs> if you, I just went for forgot. And then, uh, if you're online and you're struggling with something to do, or you're just bored or lonely in lockdown, um, then send us an email oh, at martinandruthpodcast at gmail dot com because it'll cheer you up and hopefully it'll cheer us up. Cheer and us hopefully, and it might cheer you up, and also yeah. it fills a bit of space, doesn't yeah, it, on, know, the, less, on less the podcast, because you don't have to yeah. look for uh, for too much stuff. Uh, and if you do want to send us uh, an email, it's martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. So martinandruthpodcast at gmail.com. I could do that uh, old person thing and say, that's all one word, but I think people have more or less mm. got the idea that it's all one yeah, word. Yeah, when people read out www. Yeah. No, that's no spaces. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, That's all for this week, and we'll see you soon. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.